So, back from sabbatical, we have our fearless leader, Eric Noth, here tonight. So, welcome him up. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's great to see you guys. Man, I miss you guys. I'm going to take a sip of water because I feel like being feisty tonight, so... Uh, we just got back. We were gone for five weeks uh, in uh, Santa Barbara. It's kind of where our hearts are for. Um, it's where Jesus lives. I'll just be straight up. Like, that's his. If you're going to mail Jesus a postcard, it says Montecito, Santa Barbara. Should we go there? And, and you know, if, if you like sushi, anybody like sushi? You know how, like, you have a, a few good rolls, but they have, like, that ginger there, and, like, before you jump in the next roll, you, like, you take a little taste of the ginger. That's what, like, these trips are for us. Um, we try and get away, and we just try to like hit the reset button and just change a little bit uh, of our perspective. And, and so uh, we had a wonderful time, I'm not going to lie. We didn't do any suffering for the Lord, I'm sorry to uh, announce. But we came back rested and uh, fired up for what's going on here. Uh, tonight, I'm really excited tonight. I'm really excited about this summer. Uh, next week, Brian Ormer's going to be here. So if you know what that means, you will know that you should be here. So that's next week, I believe. Someone yell at me if that's not the case. All right, so I'm going with that next week. Uh, but shortly after, we're going to start a series of summer. You know how in the uh, winter and spring we did uh, kind of misunderstood God, the persona of God that we just, we, we've been taught the wrong things our entire life? Well, we're going to flip it. Now once we get that, we're going to talk about all the wrong things we understand about ourselves this summer. And it's going to be radical and revolutionary for us. And I'm super excited about that, but there's one thing we need to get out of the way, and that's tonight. It's that why on earth, if we are God's children, why do we have all the same drama, all the same struggle, and all the same problems as the rest of the world? There has to be something. Anybody with me that there has to be something like, how many people that, like, they, they have Jesus in their life, and, like, their life gets worse? Like, how does that happen? Like, or like, you know, when, I don't know how your context was for people who introduced you to Jesus, but I've met a lot of people, and I was like, man, I'm glad they didn't like telling me about Jesus, because I don't want anything that they got, you know? It's like, <laughs> there's nothing that they're selling that I want to buy. And there's this thing about the nature of our struggle, the nature of what the cross did for us, and the nature of which how we perceive it in the here and now that makes all the difference. And so what I really want to talk about tonight is this little issue about sin and temptation. Really, this message should be probably nine messages, but I don't want to bore you for that many weeks. And honestly, I don't want to give the devil that much attention to it. But I want to do a thorough job tonight. So there's one thing about tonight is that um, there's going to be a ton of scripture on the screen, and I don't want you to take any notes on it. I want you to hear the truth. The only reason I'm giving it to you is I just want you to know that the Bible like fully supports us, and I want to give us six things that should just change the way we think. And specifically, we should be changing the way we think about our past. We should be changing the way that we respond to future temptation. And we should change the way in which we think about guilt, shame, and fear of sin. So that's going to be the object for tonight. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like formulas. Like when I want, okay, I have a task. I want, what are the four tasks, steps that I can have for, like the self-help books, and there's a lot of self-help Christianity out there and, and books in general, and, and, and people want to have all these, how do I overcome this? And fill in the blank, right? I mean, for maybe if, if it's you, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's anger, maybe it's 
pornography, maybe it's lust, maybe it's alcohol, maybe whatever it is, there's things that encounter us in life that sometimes can get a foothold and then keep us down. And how we respond to that, how we interpret what the Bible says about that, how we think about ourselves in light of that will make all the difference because Jesus says, the what will set you free. Are you sure? Are you sure he didn't say going to church will set you free? Are you sure he didn't say that accountability software will set you free? That confessing your sins will set you free? No, he said the truth will set you free. But we want all these things. We want to know like, oh, where do, do I go to this church? Do I go to that church? Do I sign up for this study? Do I do this? I mean, we want all these things. And so I want to cover just the essence of truth with you tonight. And I'm going to give you each of the truths and then you'll see below it a whole bunch of scriptures I can email anybody this stuff if you guys want, so don't get caught up with it. It's really important we listen with our minds and our hearts, all right? Amen? All right, Father God, we thank you for tonight. Jesus, we thank you for just the truth that you have in, in waiting for us to understand that freedom is available for us. I love it that this painting on the wall says, I'm free. And Jesus, we thank you that we are free indeed. God, we pray that we would walk worthy of the reality of what happened on the cross. We pray that we would work ourselves into a position where we are utterly and completely hearing from you. We pray every word that proceeds from my mouth, Jesus, would be from your throne. We don't want to hear from me. So Jesus, now we ask that you would enlighten us, empower us, and move us. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one. The very first thing you need to know, and this is having victory over sin, over temptation. I think I said even kicking temptation in the teeth, which is kind of graphic, um, but I'm okay with that, is, is the first thing is that your identity is righteousness. Your identity is righteousness. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've asked him to be your savior and atone for what has all been done in your past, future, and present, then your identity ceases to be the former past of yourself and, and becomes righteousness. There's such this, this drive for us as Christians to like push ourselves down and like, you know, be so subservient and like we, we just want to be, we want to be humble because we want to be prideful, you know, and all those things. And, um, but there's something that's kind of unhealthy about it. Yes, we need to be humble, but we need to be humble and really know who we are. Those are two different things. You can be humble and, and you know, not who you are, but we need to be humble and yet know who we are because God made us powerful. Amen? He made us powerful. We need to know what the truth is. And so if we look at the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are a new creation. You receive Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. Philippians 3 says that you don't have a righteousness of your own. You actually have the righteousness of Christ on you. Colossians 3 says that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You will be revealed with Christ in glory. 2 Corinthians 5, again, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God that we, you and I, we would become the righteousness of God. This is not future. This is not book of Revelation in the back. This is current reality. You receive Jesus. That is what happens. And so we know that when we look at this, that, that God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see sin. If that is what the Bible says and all those scriptures affirm it, when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. The word confirms in Isaiah 43 that for God's own sake that he remembers your sin no more. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
But what yet it happens is that Satan uses guilt and shame to keep you in your sin. He uses guilt and shame to keep you down. And he tries to demotivate you because Satan knows. He's kind of a clever guy, like crafty, you know, on his belly, slithering around. He knows that he can't take your righteousness. He knows he can't take your righteousness, so the best he can do is to keep you sitting on the sidelines. He knows he can't steal what God has given you, and so his best effort is to make you um, demotivated, to make you depressed, to make you discouraged. And when Jesus completed the cross, I love how Brian said this, I'm going to steal it. When he got off the cross, he handed us a receipt, not an invoice. He said it's all paid for, all paid for. He doesn't give forgiveness in installments, right? He's not like, so this is the first payment, you know, and this is the second, and you don't know what that interest rate is on that. If you missed that, I mean, he doesn't do that. It's, it's finished. His final words in the cross are, it's finished. But yet so many of us are trying to work ourselves out, but we need to be rooted in who we really are. And when you know who you really are, you don't concern yourself in lesser things. If you know who you really are, you don't concern yourself in lesser things, meaning that we don't allow ourselves to subject ourselves to sin. That doesn't mean that we're not capable of sin. Hear me here now. It's not that we're not capable of sin. It's that sin in of itself, when we are the righteousness of God, just becomes weird and abnormal. It's like having a millionaire. I don't know if you guys heard like that person who won like five gajillion dollars in Powerball. It's like the, these people that are, you know, multi-million dollars over and over again. And imagine that person like being put in jail because they stole quarters out of a parking meter. You're just like, what? It doesn't make any sense. But that's the same thing when we understand that our identity is righteousness and we look at sin, it just, it doesn't compute. Number two, you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. You don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. You need to know that the moment that Jesus comes in your life, even though you feel the exact same, your starting point with him is already victory. Your starting point with Jesus in your relationship with him is victory. It's done. Colossians 3 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. Everything. Your old self is dead. 1 John 2, I write to you that you are strong in the word and God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Past tense. Colossians 2, and in him you have been made complete. It says in another translation, you've been given the fullness of Christ. As far as Jesus is concerned, there are no Christians who are works in progress. There are no Christians that are striving to win. There's no, no Christians who are trying to beat this pornography thing or trying to beat this alcohol thing. There's no Christians that are trying to, they, they said the victory is won. God bless you. The victory is won. We fight from victory. The Bible gives us this powerful illustration in Ephesians 6. We're going to put this on the screen. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, blah, 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 blah. 
Anybody recognize a particular word that like came up several times there? Stand. The operative word there when talking about addressing Satan is not to fight. It's not to, you know, take up like, you know, the hill and charge up it. It's like it's stand. It's not to advance, fight, or to strive. It's to stand. Whenever the Bible talks about battling Satan, you are never battling for victory. You are battling from victory. Amen? James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. John 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5a says, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to know that, that Satan, he doesn't have anything we want. We don't need to fight him. We stand from victory. And the goal for us is to understand that we have victory and that we need to just be able to resist his schemes. Because we're not going to win anything from defeating him. The goal for us is to preserve what we already have. It's kind of like uh, if you win the NBA championship game, you're like, woohoo, and celebrating. And, and then the other team that they lost, they go and they steal the trophy. You're like, really? Like, you're going to, really? I mean, that's exactly what it is with Satan. Like, he knows that he's lost, but he tries to convince us that whoever holds the trophy is the one who won. When in reality, our righteousness with God is sealed, you are righteous. We fight from victory and that we need to just stand. We don't need to advance. We don't need to try and exert effort. Number three is reject the lie that you are mastered. Reject the lie that you are mastered. The, li- the biggest lie that I hear people say about themselves is that they are mastered by a particular issue. That they can't help it. It's just, you know, it's just the way guys are wired. You know, I can't help it. You know, it's all I was taught. It's like, well, everybody does it. You know, like we have that, that in our, our vernacular where we give ourselves permission and we justify things. Whether it's anger or lust or smoking or gossip or overeating, envy, distrusting, depression, fear, anxiety, immorality. I mean, you fill in the blank. And they say, well, I just can't help it. Not so. It's not biblical. Romans 6 says, knowing this, that your old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has freed us from sin. Romans 6 again, for sin shall not be mastered over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be mastered by anything. Jared Flory got that tattoo on his forearm. It's crazy. I'm, I, I'm not that hardcore. Um, Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This notion that I can't help it, this notion that, oh, it's got, me, it's got my number, it's just not biblical. So one of the, the things I tell people when they talk to me about fill-in-the-blank whatever issue is the first thing is like, well, you know that's not your master. You know that's not your master. That's, that doesn't have control over you. You're giving it way too much credit. And I hear guys, and they talk about, you know, whether it's like the big shadow of lust or pornography or whatever, and it's such a a heavy weight. And the biggest thing I do is like, tell them, that issue is like a flea on your shoulder. And whenever I pray for them, I just brush off their shoulder. Sometimes we give sin too much power in our eyes. Where do we get that idea? I mean, we've given it such a big stature, and we get so intimidated, oh my gosh, and you just, you know, you're just overwhelmed, and And we need to know that when Jesus came into our life, that not only was victory our starting point, but freedom was our starting point too. 
Freedom is the starting point. I, uh, I don't recall ever being at a circus in my life, but one thing I have noticed, even observing circuses on cartoons, maybe other clips, is elephants. You ever seen elephants and like they put like this little tiny like wood stake in the ground? And it's like enormous elephant. My wife's a horse vet and I'm like terrified holding this horse like, you know, <laughs> just please don't hurt me, please, you know. And then you have like these huge elephants that they can just storm through whatever they want. They can just go through whatever doors. It's like how on earth? So I decided to randomly Google it. And uh, here's something crazy. How do you train an elephant that when it's full grown that it never tries to escape. What they do is they, they put like, a, like the, the chain, the clasp on its foot. And when it tries to get away and it's anchored to like a brick wall, it can't. And so it'll try and struggle and they try and agitate it and they make sure that it causes so much pain in the leg and it becomes so painful that unless it actually starts bleeding and, until it actually starts forming a part where it's going to hurt so bad to try that the elephant gives up. And it just knows that if I pull against this feeling that's against my leg, I'm going to have excruciating pains. And so they train elephants as babies with that. I know, sad, right? I know. But here's the thing. When they're adults, all they need to do is to put it on the leg, and they don't actually have to tie it down. Because the elephant is so believed that when that's on my foot, there's no worth in trying to move. It's not worthy. It doesn't make sense. They've so convinced, they bought into the lie that they can't move. That Why even try it? And we've been so tricked into the strength of sin and temptation that sometimes we need to like give it another try. Like, really? Was it that hard? Really? Does it have that strong of hold on me? I think Jesus wants to say to us, like, if you got something that you're wrestling with, is like, have you checked the strength on that chain that's around your leg? I bet if you pull against it, it might just be that little toothpick that's in the ground. But some of us have become so enveloped in just the belief that that power is there. And I'll tell you what, that what you believe about the power of your problem will determine how long you're in that problem. What you believe about the power of the problem will, deter- will determine how long you are in that problem. If you're like, oh, I'll never be able to get out of this, you'll never be able to get out of it. How big you paint the picture of that stronghold will determine how long you're in that. I mean, it's kind of like why the nation of Israel, they were like wandering in the desert because they thought it was like this eternal desert. It was actually like seven square miles where like they wandered. Maybe it was like more than that, but it was not worthy of being in the desert that long. But when you're intimidated by its power, you won't break free. So the biggest thing about any issue that wrestles with you is to like break the power that you think that it has over you. I'm tired of having men of God get their, just their, their numbers owned by whatever issues. I'm sure it's the same for women. It's like, man, where did we get this mindset? And we, we do it all the time because we make declarations about ourselves, don't we? We make declarations that, you know, I'm an addict. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, like, you know, I kind of like hate that one, you know? That's actually not in the Bible. If you haven't tuned in, I, I kind of ranted on that one once before. Um, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace isn't in the Bible. And what's interesting about it is the Bible only references the word sinners when talking about unbelievers, people that are not saved, the lost. It never labels a believer a sinner. It certainly mentions sin, 
but there's an identity shift. It's kind of like, you guys watched The Biggest Loser before? It's like someone who loses, stands on the scale, they lost like 400 pounds, right? And then they walk around like saying like, yeah, I'm an overeater. And they're like, why would you want to identify your old with the new? Like walk in the newness of who you are. Don't give yourself these labels because we know that words have power, right? If God created the universe with words, it's a pretty intense, maybe our words have power. So the things that we say about sin, things that we say about temptation, things we say about struggles, things that we say about ourselves, I think they have meaning. If we can bring the eternal God into our lives and transform us, give us righteousness through words, I imagine the negative words I speak have power. Amen? But the Bible calls us more than conquerors. It's not just conquerors, more than conquerors. Don't call yourself a sinner saved by grace. I mean, that's a good history lesson that's not truth. If you're talking about history, that's fine. But we need to be in a mindset that God has given us righteousness. He's given us a victory, and we will not be mastered. Because the Bible, when it describes you, calls you a priest, calls you a saint, calls you the righteousness of God, calls you royalty. Number four, sin is not the problem. The pattern is the problem. Sin is not the problem. The pattern is the problem. Christians, like, talk so much about, like, sin. I don't like to talk about sin. I like to talk about the pattern. It's so much easier. It's like, okay, yeah, sin, whatever. Now, what was the same thing you've been doing every day that leads you to that same exact sin you're so frustrated with? Let's talk about that. Christians don't have a sin problem. They have a pattern problem. People try and quit sin while keeping their same lifestyle, pattern, and choices. The absolute definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We all know that. But when you believe that you have a sin problem, listen here, when you believe that you have a sin problem, you will use willpower. When you believe you have a sin problem, you'll use willpower. But when you believe you have a pattern problem, you won't use willpower, you'll use wisdom. And here lies in the first step. Because the previous steps are just like, man, I need to know the word. I know the word about what the word says about me, about the nature of sin, but this is where it starts getting practical. In willpower versus wisdom, let me give you a few things. If you wait until the moment of temptation to use willpower, you will fail every time. It's like me sitting down and talking about unwrapping the freedom, saying, God, help me survive this temptation. It's not going to (laughs) work. It's not going to work at all. I've waited too long. It's like, oh, no wonder I keep on eating them. I can't believe it. You know, we have a habit of crying out to Jesus for strength and willpower when, you know, when we're climbing into bed with our girlfriend or whatever. It's like, you're waiting far too long to get me involved here. Like, where were you when you drove around the corners there and, like, it's two in the morning? Like, where were I? How come you didn't invite me sooner? Jesus is like, man, I I can only help so much here. You know, you're not giving me anything to work with. But oftentimes, you want to like give like the life, you know, flare, we shoot it into the sky at the worst and last moment, and we ask God to help us in those moments. It's like asking God to help us out with sobriety when we sit down at the bar. It makes no sense. And Jesus is like, you know what? The cross did away for the need for willpower. The cross replaced the need for willpower. Because the, what the cross is, it says that you already are victorious. You already have the victory. Jesus never intended our victory to be based out of our willpower. He intended our victory to be based out of knowing who we are, who he is, how little this sin is, and to know that he's given us wisdom. 
Jesus didn't say, hey, you're going to come in a relationship with me, and man, we're going to work up that willpower. You're going to be so resilient, you know. No, he said what? He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And yet we, we labor ourselves with all these things. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to like, be stronger. I got I to gotta train, you know. I got to, you know, develop my resistance. And Jesus is like, man, when are you going to quit with the willpower and start using some wisdom? Because instead, we ought to be using wisdom, not willpower. If you walk in wisdom, you will never need willpower. Because 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. It's pretty straightforward. Wow. Was Jesus ever, like, tricked into sin? I don't think he was. He kind of, like, he was able to use wisdom to know how to navigate it. And so what does that look like in the practical? It's like we don't say no to porn when you sit down at a computer. You say no to porn when you wake up in the morning. You don't wait for the battle right then. Like the battle was 10 clicks ago. The battle was when you checked your email. The battle was when you woke up. The battle was the movie you saw last night. The battle was your eyes looking at the grocery store stand. The battle was like, oh, I'm going to buy the Maxim magazine because they got cool guy gadgets in there. Like, no, the battle is not there. The battle is saying, you know what? I, I, the battle's far earlier than that. It, it, it's all encompassing. It's, it starts before that. And if you try to fight the battle at those instances, I promise you'll lose every time and you'll get discouraged. And then the enemy has you and he's got you in his trap. He says, it's not even worth trying anymore. And when someone doesn't feel like they're worth trying anymore, then they, they try and use willpower and they use willpower, it fails. And they say, I need more willpower. And then they, they fail again and, just, and they never get to the, 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 the mindset that they actually need to use wisdom. I, um, I don't recommend this for everybody, but I'm just going to be honest with you guys as I actually don't have accountability software on my computer to, like, guard my, my internet usage. Um, I do that for a particular reason. I don't, just my genetic makeup, I don't know. Not that I'm not susceptible, not that there's not temptations. I promise you, I, I prepare for those temptations. But here's the thing, is that if you were trying to lose 15 pounds, do you think it would be a good idea to put a picture of a cheeseburger on your wall and say, don't do this? There's something about it where, like, what was intended for good, intended to keep my behavior good, was actually making it worse, was actually instigating me to rebel, was actually making me like, you know, it's, it's the Garden of Eden, right? Don't touch it. Like my daughter, like, Scarlett, don't touch that. And now she wants it all the more. Like, you almost like, need not tell her don't touch it. Like, distract her, do something else. And there's something about that. That for me, it became hard that we can be reminded of, of things that actually instigate our temptation. I don't know. I'm just tossing it out there. But what I did do was I became a steward of what are the things, what time of day is it? What are the places, what are the patterns of my life where I'm feeling susceptible? I'll tell you, anytime I travel, if I'm traveling in a hotel by myself, I'll, I'll text the same person every time. It's like, I need a phone call at 10. I need a text message at 10. Nothing good ever happens after 10 p.m. Amen. Like, I don't, like, there's nothing on SNL that's really worth staying up for. Like, it's, I can watch it on Hulu. I can do something else. Like, if, there's nothing redeemable for me to wait up forever and just, like, oh, wander into some other temptation. It's not worth it. So we need to use wisdom to change the pattern of our temptation. And the pattern, I'm sorry, need to change the pattern of our lives so that we can head off temptation. It has consistencies. There's things that are 
are similar as we go through that. Like, wow, what was unique about that that's the same thing all the time? And then people are like, you know, so maybe it's like, don't have a computer in your room. I'm just going to pick on that issue just for a minute. Well, don't have a, a computer in your room. Well, that's not a sin to have my computer in, you know, my room. True. Um, well, don't go to rated R movies. Well, rated R movies, it's not a sin to do that. Okay, you know, true. Um, well, don't go to a bar. It's not a sin to go to a bar. True. I, I get all that. It's not a sin to have a drink of wine. It's not all that stuff. But how many do you know that just because it's not a sin now doesn't mean it won't lead to a sin later? Just because it is not sin now doesn't mean it won't lead to sin later. First Corinthians says, First uh, Corinthians six says, "All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial." Meaning, we have to use our mind, the mind of Christ, that says, "Hmm, is this a breadcrumb for me to wander off into territories that I don't need to be in?" Ephesians four says, "Don't give the devil an opportunity." That's pretty straightforward. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Like we, sometimes people want to rebuke Satan. Like, man, can we re rebuke your choices? Like, you're giving him way too much credit. You're helping him out way too much. You're making it easy on him. Romans 13 says, make no provision for the flesh. It's like saying, well, I love the articles in the magazine. It's like, you're making provision for the flesh. Don't do that. So eliminate the small increments. Whatever the, the challenge, whatever the struggles, whatever the temptations, eliminate the, the small increments. And ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is that website that has all the fail videos really worth it when it's giving you all the recommended videos you probably shouldn't watch on the side? The things that instigate the lust of the flesh come in the small ways. And every temptation, every struggle I've had doesn't come like a knock on the door like, hello, it's your 4 p.m. temptation. You know, it doesn't come that way. If you know anything about anything, like, this stuff comes in, like, appetizers. It comes in like, these little tiny tasty morsels. You're like, oh, this is tasty, this is tasty, this is... And they're like, how did I wind up here? It happens that way. It doesn't come like a flood. It comes in a drip from the roof. It doesn't come like a, a, a hole opens in the ground. It starts with a crick in the floor. Satan is, is so crafty crafty little guy. And he's going to get us in these little things. And so therefore, with that, our attitude should be not how much is okay. Everyone wants to defend, well, how much is okay? You know, can I do this? Can I do that? I mean, especially dating relationships, they want to, what can I do? You know, like that's their, their answer. <laughs> it's never about how can I best honor ourselves, this relationship, our future. It's never that. It's like, Okay, how bad is it going to be? You know, like, what can I do? What can't I do? I need, I need specifics. I need rule books. Illustrations, possibly. Like, I need, you know, I need things to know precisely. And everybody wants to, like, know exactly where the line is, but the Bible says the exact opposite. First Corinthians 6 says, flee from immorality. Like, go the other way, sprinting, you know? <laughs> Proverbs 7.13, it says, to fear God. We all want to, like, fear God, right? It says, to fear God, just hate evil pretty simple. You know, we don't need to like fear God, like lightning bolts are coming down. It's like fear God is to hate evil. So our mindset should be stuck on not how much we can get away with, but how can we preserve the victory we have? How can we best steward this body of mind that's righteous? How can I best steward the mind and the heart that I have that is righteous? The devil doesn't have power over you. Hebrews 2 says he rendered the devil powerless. He doesn't have electricity, doesn't have internet, doesn't have 
I stole it from Brian. He said, the devil's been disarmed, so he has no arms. He's been defeated, so he has no feet, so he like rolls around, you know. I like that. I like that a lot. James 1.14 says that each one has been tempted when he's been carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Meaning that sometimes you drive through the neighborhood of where temptation is. Like, well, I just, I'm just going to drive by. You know, it's like Satan's having like a yard sale. And you're like, well, maybe he has a good deal on some skis. I don't know, you know. <laughs> like nothing good is going to happen. I'm belaboring it. All right, number five. Locate and identify the pain that leads to sin. Locate, identify the pain that leads to sin. Remember, we're not, not capable of sin. We certainly all are unfortunately. We have patterns that lead to it, but there's something in our lives that instigate it, and I believe that's pain. I don't believe people drink too much because they like the taste of alcohol. I, my first drink of alcohol, it tastes like sipping on a dry erase marker. It's like, this is terrible, you know? It's like, why would anybody want to do this? Guys don't like pornography because they appreciate the human body, you know? Like, Girls don't like wearing low clip blouses because it's hot in Sacramento. It's not really, we're not going to buy that. <laughs> Men don't like shouting in anger because they like the sound of their voice. It's just, there's other things at work. And so beneath every sin, I believe that there is lies or pain. Sin is enticing because it helps us block out the pain that we have. Sin is the greatest pain reliever the world has ever known. Sometimes sin is the reaction that we need to control something. We need to alleviate this pain. Where there's sin is there's pain, and I believe that there's a lie that's hidden. It's often a great indicator when someone tells me about a struggle they have. It's actually, for me, a great indicator that something else is wrong. It's like, I don't want to talk about your alcoholism. Talk to me about your father and how he left you. Don't talk to me about sleeping with men you've never met. Talk to me about the person who abused you. It's like, those are the things. If we really want to get to like the, the surfacey issues of behavior, why don't we talk about what caused the pain? We're so focused on we need to change behavior. We need to like manage behavior and, and we never actually get into like, wow, what's behind the, the pain? It's like your car. You ever have like the check engine light come on? How ridiculous of it is like, yeah, the check engine light came on and, and I fixed it. I went and cut the wires. That problem's done. You know, <laughs> like you'd be the dumbest person in the room. I mean, isn't that what we do? We're like, oh, like we have this struggle, we have this pain, we have this temptation, whatever, and we're like, well, I just need to change the behavior. We don't need to fix it, we just need to change the behavior. And, and it, it's the same ridiculous thing of like just cutting the wire to make the light go off. It doesn't make the problem go away, it just makes you just further unaware that it's there. That's what's great about Christ life, and I know we plug Christ life a lot, but that's one of the great things it does. It is systematically gets you down to the studs, and it says, what's all the pain in the room, in the inventory, we're going to get it out and be almost like, you know, like a fever as well. You know, fevers are great analogies. It's, if someone has a fever, you're not like, oh, well, you know, we just need to get them in some cold ice and like pull down the temperature. It's like, well, there's something else going wrong. We need to be relentless and find out what the problem is and locating it and naming it. And I thoroughly believe that as long as we have pain in our past, we will medicate it in the future. As long as you have pain in your past, and we all have pain, right? I had a great upbringing. I, I seriously won the lottery. But there were things that were not because 
of my home because of my parents, all those things. I had like great things. But I actually incurred a lot of pain. Not to anybody else's fault, but just the world. And when I finally got down to the root of it, it's like, wow, I didn't even know that stuff was there. And it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. For me, it was perfection. It was workaholism. It was performance-based identity. I needed to, like, prove and overcompensate for all this pain I was trying to cover up and hide. I'm going to invite the, uh, the band to come up, and I'm going to end with this. The final thing is to get back up. If you want to win, you want to kick temptation in the teeth, you want to have total victory, as you get back up. You get back up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. What makes a man righteous is not that he never falls, it's that he responds to falling by getting back up. The greatest thing that, that people want us to believe about failure, and, and we see failure on a grand scale. It's, it doesn't bother me at all. Stop being impressed with your sin. It's like, get over it, you know? Get back up. Like, Jesus, when he was talking to Peter, says, Simon, like, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and when you fall, get back up and strengthen your brothers. He didn't say, well, you know, you need to go on Christian probation. You know, you, you really need to feel sorry for a long time. And eliminate yourself from all community because you're unworthy. You need to make sure your, your butt's in a pew for the next 12 weeks before you can feel better. And then you can get back into the game. Like, you know, it's like, just stand up, strengthen your brothers. And so I can't get on this enough is that whatever we have, we need to rebound. We need to bounce. It's not the fact that we will never have issues, we'll never have temptation, but when we think about, wow, I'm righteous, wow, I fight from victory, I'm not mastered. When we think about all these things and we're like, oh, there's a pattern here and, 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 and we, we understand that there's pain caused and then we say, okay, I just need to get back up, I'm telling you, these things will help you transform your life. I've tried every single thing in my growing up years to try and like win areas of my life and so this is, this is all I got to offer you guys, so thank you guys. We just want to thank you, Lord, just for just your righteousness that you have given us in, in the times that we just totally just rest on you and, and put our foundation in you and our and our wisdom and our revelation, just we, we allow that to rest in your goodness. You just speak to us and you reveal things. And you, you give us freedom in your righteousness. I want to invite the prayer team up. If there's any, any kind of pain that you're feeling or that you've been going through, that's withholding you from from seeing the paradigm of the Father's eyes of who you were created to be in his righteousness. I want to invite you up here as we worship just to come and, and pray with our prayer warriors so they can truly reveal the Father's heart for your particular situation. These are amazing men and women of God that hear the Lord's voice and we want to pray with you. So as you guys stand up with us and worship, um, feel free to join us in prayer as well. Come on up to the front too and worship. It's going to be a good time.